Welcome to the I and Team Podcast with Brian Smith and Mary Smith. You are more important to your team than you might believe. Everybody has something to contribute, and most importantly, that's influence. Learn more on today's program. Now, here is Brian Smith and Mary Smith. Hello, everybody. This is Brian and Mary Smith, and this is the I and Team Podcast. We're actually at home today. There's Bilbo. Hi, Bilbo. <laughs> Um, we're going to bring you the show uh, this week from The Art on the Fox, which is in Algonquin, Illinois. And we're going to go out there, and Mary is actually going to do the work uh, this afternoon and uh, interview artists and um, some food vendors and actually talk about the influence that not only art shows have on our community, but how the community influences uh, these talented people to come out and share their work and their vision of their work with us. So, yeah, I think it's going to be a really great experience. I'm excited. I love art. I love promoting art for everyone. So it's going to be really nice to see what the minds of others can create. We're going to have a really good time. Yeah, we're really looking forward to it. So how people can uh, influence their community uh, in just different ways. So I think we're going to hear about. Uh, vendors and businesses, how people make money, how they turn their hobbies into money-making opportunities for themselves and their families, how these opportunities are driven by passion, um, how those passions came to be, also about volunteerism and about how people get, can get involved in their communities and uh, share some of the things they want to do or say uh, in, a, in a broader uh, sense. So. We look forward to uh, this episode and sharing our small town, Algonquin, Illinois, with all of you. So uh, we're going to pick up soon uh, out at the Art on the Fox and uh, bring you out there and let you share with us what we, uh, what we get to view and experience firsthand. We'll see you in a little bit. Bye, guys. See you Bye. soon. So thank you for letting me interview today. Of course. Um, I was talking to Steve a little bit before you came back with your award. I'd love for you to tell us about your award and how you won it. And then I'd love to hear more about how you do this process. Sure. So uh, at this show, Art in the Fox, they give out um, four awards. And uh, so the I'm being judged on the entire booth and the art in the booth and how it looks and the process. I got I was able to talk to the judge yesterday and so my award was a first place award. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. So about your process, I'd love to know a few things. I'd love to know how it's done. Steve was telling me a little bit about like the fibers and everything and yes. how you have to layer everything together. It's a little bit of stencils for like the hard outlines. Yes. I'd love to know where you get your inspiration because I see you have a lot of buildings and then you have like a lot of nature. So that's yes. like kind of a juxtaposition right there, kind of. It's right. like man-made and then something from the earth, right? right? I'd love to know where you get your inspiration from and then sure. how you go about yeah, so um, I'm painting with plant fiber. It's called pulp painting. So I create pulp from plants, and this is how paper is traditionally made. That's how I create my image, is I build up layers of the pulp. And so the birds are a very natural fit. And I, I first started doing birds because I did an Autobahn art show, and I thought I should have some birds. So I did a series of blackbirds. The blackbirds go really perfectly with uh, the pulp and the fiber because it sort of has this feathery edge where the plant material, you can see the actual fibers. So the birds are a really natural fit. I love the way they turned out, so I just continued birds and people love birds. And then the architecture, at sort of a contrast, is part of my day-to-day -day life of living in Chicago, so I'm um, amongst all of these amazing buildings. So it's interesting to try to create these architectural concrete and steel uh, structures using plant fiber. I love that juxtaposition and forcing the pulp to do something it doesn't want to do naturally. So sort of controlling that fiber is something that uh, appeals to me very much. And I like the results. Um, I'm able to do something like a steel yards using uh, local daylily um, plants. and it sort of softens that really harsh image of the steel plants with the fire and the smoke. At the same time, um, uh, you know, you create a really beautiful piece of paper and 
that you can actually see the texture of the of the plant as part of that steel image. Mm -hmm. Definitely. So you said that this red one back here, the steel mill, uh, you use local plant yes. fibers. Do you always use local plant fibers, or are some of them here and some of them there? Yes. So there are traditional fibers that are very good for paper making, like cotton. Mm -hmm. Abaca is a fiber from uh, you usually get it from the Philippines, and there's. Uh, other fibers from uh, Asia that are known to be really good for making paper so I will use those fibers because I already know how they work mm -hmm. and that they'll make me a very strong sheet but I've been experimenting more and more with local fibers and just to see what kind of sheets they give me sometimes I'll mix them with the other fibers to see and I always get different results it's sort of like playing in a chemistry lab uh, and paper making is chemistry it's hydrogen bonding so I, I, I love to be experimenting with different plants, so I'm using more and more local plants. That's really exciting. I think experimenting would definitely be like super fun, like working with something you know, and then sure. like incorporating like new stuff as you go along. Um, and I really love what you said about chemistry, because I think a lot of art has a lot to do with chemistry, yes. and I think that a lot of like the population kind of forgets that. But I was reading of, like your little thing right there about hydrogen bonding. Sure. So do you have a background in chemistry, like when you go to school for art, do they teach you the chemistry of what happens? Not usually. Okay. However, uh, with paper making, there was an aspect when I was going to, um, to school for my MFA and I was concentrating in paper arts, they do uh, describe what happens. But I've had to explore most of it on my own through extra reading and extra research. And the more that I understand of the chemistry of what's happening and how, for instance, the pigment is bonding to the plant fiber, the more I understand the chemistry, the better results I get because I, I, I understand what's happening in my studio as I'm working. Definitely. And one more thing. Steve was telling us that you made this beautiful dragon with denim. Yes. I'd love to know, how long did it take you? Because I was watching this video, like the pulp is like like water, like almost non-existent. Yes. How long did it take you to beat a blue jean? Okay. <laughs> so uh, I could pound it by hand with a wooden mallet and that is the traditional way of making Asian paper in particular, mm -hmm. but I very rarely do that. So most of the time I'm using a machine called a Hollander beater. So what I have to do is just cut the fabric up into one inch squares. So that takes me much less time than pounding it by hand. Mm -hmm. And then I uh, put those pieces into the machine, the Hollander beater mixed with water. So that's the only two ingredients are your all natural fabric or plant material mixed with water and the machine will do the work for me and it it beats it i let it run from anywhere from uh, 15 minutes to an hour and a half usually to get the um, consistency that i'm looking for that's awesome so how long would it say would you say it takes you to make like one piece obviously the bigger ones are going to take a lot longer yes. but say like let's take the dragon again because we're just on that topic sure how long did it take you to make that well so my work I do them in multiples so very rarely is something just a single uh, work I I'm doing um, multiple versions of the same image mm -hmm. and so there's a lot of preparation in advance so this that dragon was from my original watercolor painting which I then uh, I digitized that using a computer I separate out the individual colors so there's six colors on that I have polymer plates made from those colors, so I have six polymer plates made, which can go on the bed of a printing press, and then I print one color at a time. So it's the paper making is one step, and then the um, creating my design is another step. So that piece probably took a couple months in the making, but once I have all of the pieces in place, I can do one after another. That makes sense. Do you ever do multiple prints, or are they all each like their own? So the, with my letterpress printing, I do multiples, and I, they're limited runs. Uh, but for my pole paintings, I consider each one of those to be unique because I'm always using different fibers, mm -hmm. and uh, they're done one of a kind, so I can create backgrounds that are different for each one. So even though the image of the bird can be done multiple times, I consider them all to be unique pieces of art just because I give them that extra attention. Definitely.
Well, if you would like to tell our viewers how to find you, how to find your art, how to contact you, that would be awesome. That way, they can just know, like, sure. they're going to want to check it out. Yes. So my art is on my website, which is um, my first initial last name. It's dwidmer.com, which is D-W-I-D-M-E-R.com. I have an Etsy site, so my company is called Lion of Bali. Lion, like the animal, of Bali, B-A-L-I.com. And then I'm also on Facebook under uh, Line of Bali. Perfect. And I'm going to link that all for you on our podcast and on our video. So just click the links and come check out his art because it's one of a kind for sure. Bye, everyone. Thanks. Hey, team. Welcome back to the I and Team podcast. I'm here with James Petulo. He is a photographer. We're still at the Algonquin Art Fair, and we're just going to ask him a couple of questions about how he got here. This is actually his first fair in 2015, so we're going to talk about that a little bit, talk about his inspiration. So, you're from Cary? Yeah. Um, so, it's it's awesome because I live, you know, just 20 minutes away, um, but especially doing art fairs locally, it's it's the best thing that I could do. So you were born in Cary and grew up here? Um, I'm actually from Lake in the Hills. Um, oh, okay. And then I grew up more in Cary as well. So. Okay. So you do a lot of like local art shows? And this one was your first one, right? In 2015? Yes. Um, my first one, and what's awesome is Julie actually gave me the chance uh, to do this, and I didn't think I could actually be in here. Really? Because um, <laughs> I thought is I would... amazing. <laughs> thank you. Thank yeah. you. Um, I thought I would have to have a lot more experience and have stuff, you know, more on your resume and showing that you've been to other art fairs, but she actually gave, gave me a chance, and since then, I've just been doing this, which is awesome. That is awesome. Well, you know, especially with, like, the art community and with our generation, too, like, sometimes having a lot of stuff on your resume, you, like, you just have to, someone has to, like, take a chance on you. Oh, yeah. So, oh, yeah. I'm, I mean, looking at all of your photography, I'm really not surprised. It's really, really <laughs> beautiful. Thank you, um, thank you. And I'd love to know like more about how you make this, because mm -hmm. you do photography, right? Mm -hmm. So you take pictures. Yes, um, so basically what I do, it's all digital photography. Um, so I don't really do um, much film or anything like that. But yeah, I do a lot of Photoshop, but my goal is I don't like to alter the image too much. Mm -hmm. I try to keep what's originally in the image the same, mm -hmm. and then I'll just bring out the colors more and the textures. Mm -hmm. so. So, when you're like going out and getting ready to like make a print, mm -hmm. you take a camera with mm -hmm. you and you just like take a picture and then you put that on your computer and then you do stuff on Photoshop with it? Yes. Um, so, I sit at the computer a lot. So, I just sit and just stare at a computer all day. Um, um, but yeah, and I always try to go out as much as I can, travel as much as I can, um, and honestly just capture what I think is cool. I go around everywhere. Um, I try to go with my family to, you know, on as many trips, you know, as I can with them. Um, but yeah. So I see you have one from Vegas, and mm -hmm. tell us about like all the other places you've been. Oh yeah, sure. I don't know if I if I even recognize. I mean, you got some underwater stuff, like. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so I haven't really traveled, you know, when I was into when I started. Um, being in photography, I haven't really traveled like outside of the country. It was more just, you know, around the U.S. Um, but I have been to Vegas for the first time, and that was amazing. So I tried to, you know, take as many pictures as I could there. Um, and then some other places. I've been to South Carolina, so I went to Charleston, and that top picture there, um, that one was taken there. Um, but mainly, a lot of stuff here is local. Um, a lot of stuff from from Chicago. Because I did go to college there and everything, and me, you know, hanging out with a bunch of my friends, we just went everywhere we could, mm -hmm. and, yeah. So, tell me about where you find inspiration, because I see mm -hmm. nature, and then I also see, like, got mm -hmm. some kitchen stuff here. Yeah. What yeah. do you look for when you're, like, using your little, like, eye, you're, like, yeah. <laughs> looking for something? What are you looking for? So, basically, anywhere I'm walking around... I always try to find something that's different. I don't like to, or actually, even find something that people always see every single day, and I just try to make that um, different and try to find different angles, you know, stuff like that. Um, and my motto is and has always been 
anything is a photograph. So um, just going around and making something that seems mundane, bring it out and make it original and make it your own. Yeah. And people enjoy it that way. You know? Definitely. So I don't know if you've seen this movie, but have you seen the movie The Secret Life of Walter Mitty? I have. That is okay. my favorite movie. Right? It's a great movie. I love that's all our favorite movies, right? <laughs> it's awesome. Yeah. It's awesome. So do you yeah. ever feel like, you know, you're like hunting for a picture, but do you ever feel yes. like... You just don't take it because you want to stay in the moment. Yes. You have a lot of stuff like that. There have been plenty of moments where I, you know, especially a lot of things in the city and some of the local stuff, you know, around my home and everything. Um, I'll I'll see like some animals that would pass by, like I saw a fox, you know, like over like the golf course by me, and I loved it so much. But I was like, I. I just can't really take a picture right now. I have to sit there and just enjoy it, you know, with my own eyes. Mm -hmm. um, there's certain moments where I don't want to be looking through something else to see it. I just want to just see it, you know, for myself, you know, just enjoy it with, you know, with my friends and family. Um, there, there have been a lot of moments like that, and uh, yeah. So. That's good. I'm glad to hear that because photography is like so beautiful, but I think it's also important to like take moments for yourself and to like kind of store them in your own brain. Just, yeah. Just yeah. just for you. Just keep it in there. <laughs> um, what was like the most recent trip you took? Mm -hmm. Oh, picture taken. Um, I'd say the most recent trip, I mean, I guess outside of Illinois was probably the one from Charleston. Um, I was photographing my cousin's wedding and we were walking around everywhere. Um, he took us all over his um, old campus, and he used to go to Charleston College. Um, so he was showing us different sandwich shops and everything like that. And um, he um, brought my dad and I around, and he um, had us meet a bunch of his friends, you know, on campus. And um, after we had a bunch of food, we were so full, and we were just walking around, and I've just been seeing, you know, all kinds of random shots to take and um, interesting people. I'll I'll say that. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah. That's awesome. So then I'd love to also know how do you get a photograph from like Photoshop onto a canvas that's kind of like wrapped around? Because yeah. I've seen photographs that are just kind of like printed and they're like flat and they're like mm -hmm. in a frame. Yeah. But I don't know if I've ever seen it like this, like with like yeah. Canvas. <laughs> so with my photos being on canvas, I usually or order from someone. I don't really do that on my own. I'm not really that skilled to, mm -hmm. you know, get that perfect wrap, you know, and how people like fold that so nicely, you know, for canvas. But um, I usually prefer canvas because you don't need any frames or anything like that, and um, it's actually really easy to hang. So I think especially for art fairs and trying to sell these it's a lot easier instead of doing like the frames with all that glass and it gets so heavy so it's fragile but with canvas you don't have to really worry about that that's awesome um i don't think i have any other questions for you but if you'd love to tell our viewers where they can find you you guys i'm, I'm gonna sure. link it there for you too but just take a listen and make sure you look for his name underneath all of our descriptions so you can click and come find all of his photography okay and then i'll yeah, yeah, yeah. you can just tell them where to find you. You you can find me on Facebook um, at James A. Futuolo Photography. Um, you can go on my Instagram um, at jumbajim8. Um, and then you can go on my website at jamesvitulo.com. Yeah, awesome. thanks guys. We'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Hi team. Welcome back to the IN Team Podcast. I'm here with Jason Ullman, still at the Algonquin Art Festival. He does photography. And we're actually going to talk a little bit more about how he does photography. Because it looks like you kind of alter them a little bit? I'd love to know your process about how you get them to look a little bit more like fluid. I love it. Thank you. <laughs> sure. So I take photographs of lots of different things in nature, such as flowers or different fruits and vegetables, then abstract them in different ways in Photoshop on the computer to make them look a bit more colorful and give them a, a painterly, unique feel to them. Awesome. So... What is it about nature that draws you to it? Like, what about like the fruits and the vegetables and the flowers and the cacti? What about those things? You just go, I have to capture that. Well, I've always been interested in the 
intricate shapes and textures and colors within nature that are very similar to each other. And seeing how all those te textures and patterns relate to each other. And so taking all, all these photos and you know, looking them through a different lens, so to speak, pun intended, uh, you kind of are looking at it through a point of view and uh, you get a really interesting t uh, take on some of these unique mundane items that you look at very frequently uh, but now are brought to your attention in a different way. Definitely. So with fruits and vegetables you probably like buy them and bring them home but with your bigger pieces where have you traveled to to find these specific so, I like to go hiking a lot and all throughout the country, be it going into national parks or going to different botanic gardens. I'll try to take my camera with me wherever I go to get as, take as many photos as I can and you know, sort through them and edit, edit them from there. So as a photographer, we were just interviewing um, Jimmy over at that little booth over there and I was asking him, I don't know if you've seen the movie um, Secret Life of Walter Mitty? Have you seen that movie? Yeah. Okay, so you know how there's like a main photographer in there? So do you ever find that as a photographer, you're out in nature and you want to capture something, but in the movie he sees the snow leopard and he doesn't take the picture even though like he like went all that way, like hiked all the way up and he's like, sometimes I just like to keep a moment for myself. Do you ever find that as a photographer you like to keep moments for yourself? It's always nice to just slow down and enjoy the moment. I'm happy that you mentioned slowing down because slowing down is actually one of the main focuses of our podcast and of our book. It's what, like a third of our book? Yes. It's just like the a largest long chapter, chapter of our book is called <laughs> Slow Down. <laughs> yeah, so it's really nice to hear someone else mention that slowing down is really important, especially in a life that's pretty fast paced with like technology and everything. So, how long do you say it would take you? So, you take a picture, you put it on Photoshop. How long does it take you to like make that picture perfect for printing up? Totally depends on the piece. Uh, some some pieces are, you know, that are part of a, a series. I kind of have my pro process uh, pl planned out, and you know, doing the same thing for, for each of them, and you know, step by step what what I'm going to do. Other pieces are more specific, and uh, you know, take a lot more fi fine tu tuning and a lot of hours of editing and creating multiple versions of versions of ver versions of things to make my, minute changes and coming back to them days later or weeks later to see if my perspective ch changes on them so there's no, no concrete answer to how long it takes me to edit, edit a piece you know I've been doing this for a lot of, lot of years and it just totally, totally depends how many years Jason uh, let's see I've been sell selling my work professionally for about five years and I'd say I've been you know, seriously creating work for probably about, about the past 10. Pretty awesome. That is awesome. And you mentioned that this big, beautiful flower piece is your favorite piece, right? Yes. Where did you take this picture? In Philadelphia. Philadelphia? Yeah, it was a friend's house, and so the cherry blossoms bloom once a year uh, for about a couple days period so they told, told me you know when, when they bloom can you come over and take pictures of them I've been trying to for years but they never come out right on my phone uh, so she told me to come over right when they uh, right when they bloomed and I got up on the la ladder and took you know, hundreds of photos of them this is uh, one of my favorite favorite ones this is a cherry blossom? I love cherry blossom trees. They are my favorite tree ever. So I actually used to live in DC. So every year we would go, cause you know, you know, they're so finicky. Like they only bloom when they want to and they only bloom for like this amount of time out of the whole year. They're so beautiful. And I think that that's really what makes them like special is that like their beauty only shows for like a very small amount of time. So I'm really excited to hear that it's a cherry blossom because it's my favorite tree. <laughs> So, you know, I'd love for you to tell our followers where they can find you. I have it written down and I'm going to link it out for you guys. So you can just find his name and then click on the links that I provide for you. But if you can just tell them so they can listen to you, that would be really great. Sure. You can reach me at my website, uh, jasonulman.com, J-A-S-O-N-U-L-M-A-N.com. 
and you can email me and from, from my website and I'll respond from, from there and you can also buy pieces directly on my website. Awesome. Awesome. Thank okay. you so much for letting us interview you today. Yeah, you're yeah. welcome. Thank you, Jason. We really appreciate it. Hi, team. Welcome back to the Iron Team podcast. I'm here with Jason Clark. He is a woodworker. Is that the correct term? Wood turner, specifically. Wood turner. And we're still at the Algonquin Art Fair. So we're going to talk to Jason about some of his art. He has some super cool pieces here. We're going to get you guys a little look around and then I'll link all this stuff in the bottom of the description so you can just click and find him. So, Jason, tell us about how you got into the wood work business? Um, well, my wife and I bought our first house uh, in Arizona in uh, fall of 2000 and we were doing research and walking, watching a lot of TV shows on, on how to maintain and, and improve your home. Mm -hmm. um, so we were all watching a lot of PBS and yeah. uh, This Old House and yeah. immediately <laughs> after This Old House was the New Yankee Workshop with Norm Abrams. And my family's always been kind of handy. My, gr my grandfather had a small wood shop in his barn growing up and Norm had a an episode on turning wooden salad bowls and I just thought that looks like something that could be fun that I could be good at and I would enjoy That's, and so I jumped in with both feet and, and never looked back I, I want to do something that is fun so I don't golf I'll never be a scratch golfer have you know be on the PGA Tour I don't mind going to the range and hit, hitting a bucket of balls but if I want to do something and, and really invest time and effort into it I want to be good at it and enjoy it and wood turning was just one of those things that was just perfect for me. That's awesome. So you lived in Arizona. What brought you out to Illinois? My job. Okay. Um, my, my company requested that I, I move to Illinois and, and they made it very easy. They paid for everything and, and were very accommodating and uh, and so here, here we are. I've been here about four years. Oh, awesome. And you live locally, right? You live in Illinois. Yeah, I'm about, I'm about two miles uh, uh, southwest of here. So very, very awesome. close. I try to use a lot of local woods. Um, I have a whole table of stuff over here that's all uh, wood that's been sourced locally. I know where every single piece of, of that wood on that table came from. Yeah, and just so you guys know, we're going to be taking pictures of everything. Literally all the wood is from like local Algonquin, Illinois, like super close to around here. I'd love to know about how you acquire all of your wood before you like turn them. I get it everywhere I possibly can. Um, I do purchase some wood. Um, I do, do use some exotics that, you know, from come from other countries, Africa in particular. Mm -hmm. um, so I do have to purchase some of my wood, but all the local stuff, I get it from other wood turners. We'll, we'll trade wood or we'll send it, hey, I found out about this wood um, here, you know, go get some. I picked up logs off the side of the freeway. Um, I've had people that I've met at events like this who have said, hey, I have this tree in my yard, come cut it down and you can have the wood. Um, so I, I get it absolutely any way that I possibly can. That's awesome. Um, so you love working with wood, but do you have like a favorite type of wood? Not like a piece, but like maple or like a birch or like a pear? Uh, I love, I love burls. I don't burls. care what tree they come from. I come, I, I love burls. So a burl is kind of like a tumor or like cancer on a tree. So you'll sometimes see them growing out the side of a tree. Um, I, I equate them to cancer. It's unregulated random growth. You know, trees are, a normal tree has just grain that runs straight up and down. Burls have this wild, swirling, crazy grain in them. And every one of them's different and you never know what you're gonna get until you cut it open. That's awesome. So that's like, like if you see in like cartoons and there's like a little cartoon tree and there's just like this like little circle of like random wood kind of growing. Is that what it's Sometimes, like? yeah. Like, so, sometimes, sometimes they're where a limb has been cut off and it's, it's grown over. I don't think those are okay. true burls. I actually call those scabs, where it's, it's grown over a wound in the tree. Yeah. Um, nobody really knows what causes burls, but they're, they're the favorite of pretty much every woodworker out there. Oh, I bet. Because I bet like once you get inside, like the grain is all like... It's yeah, it's Super crazy. You get a lot of little eyes. You get these swirls. It's it's absolutely amazing. Awesome. And so I noticed that like some of your pieces, they have like gaps in them, but that's like naturally from the wood. Is that also a burl, or is that like what is that in the tree? Sometimes that's where a tree grows up and the limbs split off. Sometimes a little bit of bark gets kind of stuck in there when when the tree splits, when a branch comes off. So a lot of those are, are bark inclusions or natural defects in the wood. 
Um, they're not a burl per se, although some of them definitely can be. There are definitely burls that have voids in them. Um, and we don't call those defects. We call them features or sometimes design opportunities. That's also what we call mistakes. It's not a mistake. It's a design opportunity. Definitely. I love the positivity. Yep. <laughs> and I know we were talking about this earlier a little bit off camera, but I love to talk about it on camera. So you have like a lot of these beautiful things back here, but they have like super tiny openings. Does yeah. that like, do you find that it's harder to do something like that as opposed to like a bowl where you just have to carve out the oh, absolutely anytime you're doing something through a, a small opening and the smaller the opening the more difficult it's, it's going to be if you're working in a, in a big wide open bowl that's relatively easy mm -hmm. um, wide open bowl would probably be one of the easiest things a tall narrow bowl would be more difficult and then you get into the what we call hollow forms where all of the hollowing on this uh, uh, the piece like a vase for instance is done through a small opening in the top. That takes special tools, um, special equipment, special techniques, and uh, that is much, much more difficult. Yeah, definitely. So for the pieces with like that do have the holes, do you have to use like any kind of special equipment to go around those holes so that they're like protected and not like tapered off? <laughs> not usually. You know, most people think that you'd want to slow the lathe down in that case where there's a lot of voids. I, I don't think that. I think you actually want to turn the speed up. Um, if it's going fast enough, the tool doesn't really know that there's a void there. Mm -hmm. um, so the rule of thumb is 2200 RPM. Anything above 2200 revolutions per minute, mm -hmm. the wood feels solid. You okay. don't even know that there's a void there. That's awesome. So do you, so 2200 is about where you keep it at for like normal, but you would turn it up if there's a hole so that like the tool would think it was solid because it's going so fast. You know, the, the speed you turn at varies depending on the piece. A lot of it's based on the diameter. Really small pieces like pens, you can turn those at 3000, 4000 RPM. No problem at all. But if I'm turning a, a big platter or bowl or something that's say 20 inches in diameter, mm -hmm. 3000 RPM at 20 inches is disaster. <laughs> um, so there, there's a rule of thumb on that and, and there's an actual formula of how you can kind of calculate safe speeds but a lot of it is, is based on the diameter um, and then there's there's a margin of error plus or minus based on that. If you have a lot of experience and really know what you're doing you can turn a lot faster than somebody who's maybe new to stuff. Um, they'd want to keep things on the, on the lower end. Um, turning fast can produce really great results but disaster can happen very quick as well. Design opportunities. Yes. <laughs> so, when you're like turning bowls and you're talking about like diameter and stuff, because you've been doing this for so long, do you find that you just like know exactly how many RPM for like what piece, or do you kind of like that like sciencey part and you're like, I'm gonna go figure out the exact mathematics of this? <laughs> I like I like the science part, um, but a lot of it is is based on experience and feel. My my lathe I have in my shop at home has an RPM readout on it. I don't need that. I really don't. I've just I've been doing this for 16 years. I know how fast I can turn. I know how fast I can't turn in some cases. So it's mostly based on on feel and experience at this point. Yeah, definitely. And I think last question, just because our viewers are probably going to want to know, and I already asked you this, and we talked about it a little bit, but how long would you say it takes you to make like a piece? That's the $20,000 question. Yeah. That's, that's <laughs> probably the most common question I get. Um, the answer is it varies. It depends on the size of the piece. It depends on if the wood is dry or if the wood is green and has to dry. So I work a lot in green wood, um, and typically what I do is I rough turn the piece, and then I set it aside to dry for a year or more, um, and then I'll come back and turn it a second time once it is dry. Um, so it really depends on the piece. I, I have pieces that can take me 20 minutes. I have pieces that can take 15 hours, um, and then I have pieces that take an hour at the beginning, and then it sits and dries for a year or two, and then it takes another hour or two at on the, the end. So it really depends on how you count things. Is that two hours or is that two years plus two hours? Yeah. <laughs> Definitely. Um, 
So I'd love it if you tell our watchers, because this is going to be a podcast and a video, if you can tell them how to reach you, you guys, I mentioned earlier that I'm just going to link that down for you in the description. So just look for his name and then click those links to come look at his work. It's super cool, like, unlike anything I've ever seen before. So if you just want to tell them, like, verbally yeah. so they can hear it, too. Yeah, my name is Jason Clark. Uh, my company is JTC Turning. I'm here in Algonquin, Illinois. I live about two miles from the art festival that we're having this weekend. Uh, you can find my website, jtcturning.com. I'm also on Instagram at JC, JTC Turning. Awesome. Thanks, right. guys. See you Thank next you. time. Hi, team. Welcome back to the Iron Team podcast. I'm here with Chef Robert. What's your last name? Childers. Childers. I'm here with Chef Robert Childers. And you do melon carvings. Is that correct? Uh, food styling of all kinds ice, sugar, pastillage, tallow, marzipan. Anything that has to do with culinary arts, and I've pretty much done in my last four decades. Oh, that's awesome! Yeah. So, what is your favorite medium out of all of those, or do you even have one? <laughs> I like pumpkins a lot, just because I can do more with them, more realistic, um, because it's a harder, uh, malleable texture than fruit. Mm -hmm. A fruit also has its colors, and you know, it has beauty to it too, so uh, it's a lot easier to carve, so I can go faster and do a lot more. So I, I, I like I like I like it all. Yeah, definitely. So you mentioned pumpkins. Do you really like like Halloween time? You like yes, get really creative? Um, <laughs> I probably do about a hundred pumpkins every year, but uh, oh, wow. you know I probably do five or ten that are just viral. Yeah. They go viral for me and uh, oh, I, have I bet. That's super exciting. What was like your favorite piece that you've done? Like what did you carve into it and you were like, I love this into a pumpkin? Um I would have to say if you take a something that's an iconic pop culture, something that everybody knows, and then you try to do it yourself on a vegetable. Mm -hmm. I think I did Chucky once, and everybody knew it was Chucky, and like, so you know, when you get something and you nail it, and you know what, exactly what it's supposed to do with every detail, and everybody else around you does too, so you feel pretty good about it. Mm -hmm. How long would you say it takes you, on average, to do like a pumpkin or a melon, like the carving? Well, it depends on what the carving is. If it's something like uh, I was going to sit down and do a rendering of you, I'd have to sketch you, I'd have to look at all these various kind of things, find out what I'm going to do. So design is a big part of it. Mm -hmm. So if it's something that I've done a million times, like a rose, I can do in 10 minutes or something like that. I don't have to think of my hands. That makes sense. Yeah. So when you talk about sketching, do you like sketch it out onto the surface first? or well, you, you can on paper. Like... Uh, just like wood or any other medium, you can use the template and uh, you can etch it into the fruit or the melon. Mm -hmm. um, if you're going to carve it 3D, then you have to know how thick those walls are so you can push forward and back You know the amount you do. Unfortunately, with the medium that I use, I never know until I cut into it what exactly I'm cutting into. It could be a sugar deposit, like some of these melons are a little overripe, so mm -hmm. you got to change the design based on the, the product itself. So. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. Um, so, if you've been doing like all these carvings for 40 years, did, where did you start? Like, how did you start doing this kind of art? Well, I want to be an ice carver. Uh, I, <laughs> Uh, there's a place in Chicago called the Edgewater Beach Hotel and they tore it down. There was a couple Japanese guys doing a big ego on the side of the building. It was one of a horrible winter. And um, I just said then and there, I think I had an epiphany or something. I want to do that. So what I did, I saw it. I've been culinary arts my whole life. So as soon as I found that someone could do it and they put a chainsaw in my hand at about the age of 18. Yeah. Um, I've done it. <laughs> so you started with ice carving? I did. I started with a much more difficult medium, mm -hmm. which made me so much stronger when I went to other ones, mm -hmm. um, just because it was so difficult to battle the elements, the physical size of the ice, just the tools you had to use. So, mm -hmm. you know, the hand tools were much easier to use when, I stepped, when I stepped away from that. Is that like an apprenticeship? Is that kind of how you learn how to do that? Or do you just kind of like pick up your own stuff and just kind of go in you by yourself? You can, but the best thing to do is to go to competitions. So oh. I probably have a good 25 to 30 years of ice carving competition experience mm -hmm. going all over the place. and. You know, the other guy set up what you got and said taking things away from that, you know, 
those types of things. Is it a free but, environment? Do you guys learn a lot from each other? Are you oh, yeah. are you open? Everybody's pushing the envelope. Good. As an artist to get better, so you're always looking over like, man, that guy's really good. <laughs> wow, he's <laughs> checking out what he's got, so you're gonna steal what he's got, and he's gonna steal what you got, and you know, between that, you just get better. Wow. That's awesome. So this little thing that you have the melon on, mm -hmm. does it move while you carve? Table. Yeah, for some pieces like the flower and stuff like that, I move and carve it at the same time. Um, I don't so recommend you move it, but it's not like that. a motor. No motor. I use oh, okay. my hands, oh. so I can I can move around the melon faster, and I'm just not um, it's not holding it like this, and it's not awkward. Mm -hmm. Same with the dog bowl that has a rubber grip to it, holds the melon in place, so I can move it. 3D oh, like. that makes sense. I thought this was all like one piece, but you kind of like no. made this piece yourself. No, it's a cake, cake turntable. This ingenuity over the years. That's awesome. That is awesome. That's yeah. so cool. And it works really well. Um, so you know this is going to be on our podcast mm -hmm. and on our YouTube channel. So if you'd like to tell our viewers how they can find you, how they can like look at your art, like if you have an Instagram or Facebook or a website. You can always go to awesome. Robert Childers on Facebook.com. Uh, okay. A lot of my work is up there. Mostly that's all my work is up there. Okay, perfect. So Facebook. Yep. So you guys, I'm going to link that down in the description for you. Just look for his name, Robert Childers, and then I'll put the Facebook link right there. So you just click on it and it'll be super easy. Awesome. So, right. thank you so much. I really yeah, appreciate Robert, you thank you so us. much. No for, yeah, we appreciate your time very no much. No problem. Yeah. coordinator for Art on the Fox for the Village of Algonquin and the Algonquin Public Arts Commission. That's awesome. So how many years has Art on the Fox been here? Because you said you've been here for seven. Did you start it? I did not. So this is our 12th year okay. and this is our first year in this location. Oh, okay. We used to be over in Riverfront Park, but due to construction, they moved us here for this year. And say we're loving it we have a beautiful views it's a larger park and we were able to expand the show by a lot more artists just because of the extra space we have that's awesome so how many artists do you have applying to be with you every year um, we have approximately 50 artists that will apply not every artist makes the show we try to pick the best of the best and we do a wide variety of art as you've seen from walking around and meeting our artists so we strive to find a lot of very unique art so unfortunately not everyone makes it we're not the perfect show for everyone but we try to bring in as many people as possible that's awesome so with your company at JMF events how many like events like this do you do a year um, five to seven events a year I actually now live in North Carolina in the Smoky Mountains oh. so I come back for this show I have shows down there and then I have shows up here Oh, that's awesome. That is awesome. <laughs> Thanks. So have you lived down in uh, North Carolina for very long? Uh, I moved there two years ago from St. Charles. I've lived in St. Charles for 20 years and worked on uh, numerous events in that community. And that's how I actually discovered Algonquin. They found me down there. Um, and then two years ago, we moved to uh, North Carolina. And so now I just fly back and forth for my events. Oh, that's awesome. It's fun. <laughs> Are all of your events art-centered? Absolutely not. This is my only art show. Oh, awesome. And I like to tell people I'm not an art show coordinator. I'm an event planner. So I look at things a little different. This yeah. show, we like to say, is not really an art show. We're more of an art festival. And so we focus on art in all forms. You may have seen our artists, or um, our authors, sorry. Uh, we have a group of authors that um, are published authors with numerous books. And so they're here. McHenry County College is here. 
Denver and we work with them since the beginning of the show, since it was created 12 years ago. They have been an excellent source for bringing emerging artists to our show. While we really like to focus on high-end art, we decided years ago we want to be a show that also allows emerging artists to start. Artists have to start somewhere and sometimes it's hard to get into a show and so we've decided we're going to be that show for emerging artists. And um, one of the artists today that you may have already spoke to, James Vitillo. We did. Yes. <laughs> He is a perfect example of an emerging artist. He started, he called me one year and said, I can't get into any shows I'd love to apply. He sent a sample of his work over and I was just amazed. And so I'm really excited to say that since we've, we had him at our first, since he, we were his first show, sorry. He has done many other shows and actually last night was a double award winner of our show this year. And so we're so proud of him. Yeah, we really enjoyed our interview with him too. Yeah, this great stuff guy. was beautiful. Yeah, it's beautiful. Did you see the um, the carnival shot on the side of his building? Yeah, yeah. I saw that this year, and I my my mouth dropped. His eye for his age is so amazing. He's really spot on in his work. Mm-hmm. Definitely. So switching it over to a little bit of what you do, how did you get into event planning? I started as a volunteer, and I, people ask me all the time because they think that my job is very glamorous. As you see me in a t-shirt, later I'll be in sweats as I'm breaking <laughs> down all these tents. Um, I, I started as a volunteer. Uh, I really believe volunteerism is a lost art, and it needs to be it needs to be taught to younger generations and it needs people, parents, and, and, and everyone needs to talk about the importance of volunteerism in communities. That's how we do these events. While people see me running around like crazy here, they don't see the other 15 volunteers behind the scenes that are doing work to make us look good. So I started as a volunteer years and years and years ago in St. Charles, and then I had an opportunity to, um, I had a really excellent opportunity to take over one of the largest events in St. Charles, Riverfest. So with a team of about a couple hundred volunteers, we took that event over. I learned by trial and error, a lot of error, and um, somehow I just fell in love with it. And so from there, I started doing more events. El the Village of Algonquin found me from that event. And um, since then, I've had the great pleasure of working on Scarecrow Fest in St. Charles, which is a nationally recognized event. Mm -hmm. I have produced art, art shows, uh, 5K, 10Ks, galas, parades. When I fly home to North Carolina, I'm actually going to be producing Oktoberfest and um, Oktoberfest and Magic on Main, our Christmas parade. And um, so I'm very excited for those. And those are both in Andrews, North Carolina. Awesome. Oh, that'll be so fun. Um, so you guys, I'm gonna link down below where you can find Julie and her company, but if you just tell them just so they can hear it too, I'm just gonna link it right, like the little link so they can click on it, but if you tell them for, if they're just listening, that'll be really helpful too. Absolutely, if they go to jmfevents.com, they will find all information about me, and I like to tell people, just think of just more fun events. So jmfevents.com, you can reach me and I'll be happy to answer questions. And I do a lot of consultation work and I do it for free. Um, people will call and say, I want to start an event, how do I do it? And I remember those days and so I like to, I can't always, but sometimes if you call and you just have a question or you just want to brainstorm with me, I love brainstorming events. So feel free to reach out. Awesome. awesome. Thank right. you so much for letting us come today and like yes, talk to really the artists and interview you. Thank you so much for coming out. This is such an opportunity for the art show to get exposure and of course to talk about arts in the community. Arts is, is, is so important and as we see art programs being cut from schools across the country, we need more people to promote the arts. And so thank you both for coming here and talking to our artists and talking to me and just visiting our show. And now I want you to go shop yeah. and go visit my artists and go take something home. Yes, we will. Yeah. Good. Okay, thank you. Thank you so much. All thank right. you. Bye. So, hey, it's Brian and Mary. We're back with you. And we just spent about, what, three and a half hours out at 
the Iron team are out at uh, Art on the Fox uh, filming. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was a long day. Uh, Art on the Fox um, with artists and food vendors and the public. I mean, we had some really great experiences filming our podcast, the Iron Team podcast, part of the Iron Team series. So, uh, Mary did an amazing job. She really uh, brought home the message that we've been looking for. Some of the art we saw was really inspirational. Oh, uh, it was crazy. It yeah, takes right? some of these people hours to make something. It's beautiful. Yeah, one, one was even weeks or even longer, weeks, right? Weeks, years. You'll see yeah, in the yeah. interviews. Well, you probably already saw, but yeah. a long time, right? Yeah. So, you know, uh, the experience we had, I hope you enjoyed. Um, you know, we got to share a little bit of Mary's passion. Mary's, uh, Mary's a vegan, and we saw some amazing, you did too, some of the fruit, vegetables, and plant that uh, work that was done. Um, I bought a piece. Um, yeah, Mary, it's right there. You know, show everybody. I bought this piece for my office. You guys, it's the denim piece that we were talking about. Yeah. Remember the first interview we did, and we were talking about, like, pulp and denim? This is the denim piece. Yep, and that's all plant-based inks, and yeah, made with with pairs of jeans. So uh, there's a dragon in it, uh, which those of you that know me a little bit more personally know that uh, when I was in the military, my unit logo was a dragon. So uh, and my Chinese symbol is a dragon. So anyhow, we hope you enjoyed the show. We oh, hope one you. One more thing, Julie did want me to say something before we sign out. Julie, we interviewed her last. She was the organizer of the whole show. She did all the event stuff. She just wanted me to say thank you to Algonquin and the committees in the village. You guys are all so helpful. She has never worked with a city that has been more uh, ready to volunteer, ready to be there, show up, like donate their time. She was so grateful. Um, she was pretty tired during our interview. Um, she just wanted me to mention that she's so thankful that you guys have such a great influence on her and on our community because she sees a lot of communities that don't really care that much so thank you algonquin illinois you are doing awesome yeah thank you and we are happy to live here and happy to share our little uh piece of the american dream with everybody so we hope you enjoyed it and we'll see you next week on the i and team podcast and we don't <laughs> know if bilbo will be with us or not but uh, we look forward to next week's show and having you with us. Have a great night. Thank you for listening to the I in Team podcast. We hope we've positively influenced you and you've picked something up from the show that you can use in building and influencing other individuals or your team. Please join us soon for another program on the Voice America Business Channel.